0: Hello and welcome to the North Bank podcast, where in this episode we'll be reacting to the hard-fought win against Crystal Palace last night. As ever, I'm joined by Steph and Chris. Hi, guys. Hello. Hello. Right. There's a lot to unpick from last night's game, so let's get straight into it. Our usual reaction, gut reaction to the result, the night, whatever. As brief as you can. Steph, you were at the game and we'll get to that. But what's
1: your kind of hot takeaway right now? One of, you know, relief in a sense, but also kind of frustration um, at times as well. And I think overall pleased, overall pleased. You can't you can't knock, you know, three points away in a London derby.
2: No, you can't indeed. Mm-hmm. Tough, tough place to go as well. Chris? I think I have to sort of straight away address the elephant in the room in a way and just say that referee decisions can obviously have a huge impact on a game. And I just felt that we... We won despite the referee.
0: Okay. We we will come to that in a lot more detail later on. I am absolutely convinced.
2: Because it's written down on my bit of paper.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, um, shh. <laughs> Do you know what I've noticed this season so far? Mm. I feel like we are in a title race from day one. Mm-hmm. I'm on edge. And that's and, and why, yeah, there's a lot to to work through in terms of the referee and the performance and team selection, all of that. But I'm just so delighted with the 1-0 win, Mm. even under those circumstances. I just think the win was the most important thing. Quite interestingly, only three teams have won both games so far this season. Mm -hmm. Brighton and of course our nemesis, uh, Manchester City. So I think... I'm viewing everything through that prism of we're in a title race from 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 day one. It means I cannot relax, and it's really annoying. It was pre- it
2: was present well, in the players as well, wasn't it? At the final whistle. And I'm sure yeah, it won't make yeah. Richard Keys and the likes very happy, but the way they celebrated <laughs> it was, you know, after two games. Well, what are you getting all excited for? It's only two games. Well, because it matters, and we know that we need to be almost perfect to beat City. So. Bloody does matter, and you're right, we are in a, a title race from from the off. It's great. It's no, where abs- we want to be.
0: Yeah. No, for sure. For sure. I would like to enjoy it a little bit more. I remember enjoying the games last season a little bit more than this. Um until Expectation. It beca- it, Well absolutely, and that that goes back to um our first pod of the season when I talked about I, I was curious about how the fan base would react to the players because of this raised expectation. Mm. I wasn't thinking about my own expectation. And I realized after watching these two games, I'm just, I'm just a bag of nerves. Um, and when the final whistle goes, my overriding sense so far has been one of just sheer relief. Mm. Granted, they've been two kind of narrow single goal victories, I guess has played into that as well. Right, Steph, first away game of the season. You were there. Selhurst Park, I know it's one of your favourites. Give us a sense of what the day was like, the build-up, the atmosphere, the ground, etc., right up until, like, kind of five minutes before the f- the first whistle.
1: Well, the reason Palace is one of my favourite grounds to go to is because so little of it has been developed since it would have changed to all-seater um, after the Taylor Report in the early 90s. And so... Being in the terraced houses, you know, very low sort of away um, section. uh, The the roof sits very low. There are are pillars in the way that block people's views. Where you go into the entrance is is all very claustrophobic and confined. You know, it, it feels very Victorian in a way. And, you know, that feels very sort of classic. A lot of the new grounds that you go to have a kind of uniformity to them that that lacks a little bit of soul. And I, I very much, you know, for for a long time, kind of included the Emirates in that a little bit as well. You know, we all went through a grieving process when Highbury uh, was left behind, and so it's it's a bit of nostalgia that 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 is really enjoyable about going back to Palace. The day itself is great. I, I've actually not minded the last couple of seasons going to Palace early on because being a teacher uh, means that it's in the holidays, you know, my schedule is clear, whether it's a Friday night or a Monday night doesn't particularly matter to me, and I know that's a very sort of selfish way of viewing it, but on the flip side, living in Norfolk, it does mean that it <laughs> every game is an away game, and it was another two, three o'clock finish in the morning by the time I got back yesterday, and that journey would have been a lot more harder to take, I think, had we not come away with those three points. Because on the one hand, we played well. The crowd, the atmosphere was brilliant. You know, first away game of the season. And I thought the away fans, you know, were really behind the team, really supportive, on the whole, very positive about everything that we saw. And then there were those, you know, what felt like, injustices in the game, which created a little bit of a little bit of spice, a little bit of, you know, drama for us to sort of get behind and motivate the crowd to to be that little bit more enthusiastic, you know, when it did come to that final whistle, because we we had to dig in and overall, absolutely brilliant day.
0: Yeah, the away fans, it really did come across on the TV as well. Uh, It sounded just every bit as uh, vocal as last season and and positive and supportive as last season. Arsenal's away fans are a pretty special bunch, I think, having sampled it a few times.
1: There was a slight difference this season because there was a little bit more security on some of the entrances. You have the turnstiles at Palace that people go through, obviously, with their tickets. And then almost next to them, there are these kind of bolted gate doors that open up and they let disabled fans in. However, last season, those um, bolted gate doors were not really manned properly. And so when a disabled supporter was being let in, we literally witnessed this last year about... 20 people basically barreled through Hmm. and ran in and what that meant last season was that you were it it almost felt like there were two or three people to each seat in each row it it did feel a little bit dangerous very squashed in and that's because you know Arsenal is is a hot ticket you know that lots of people want to want to experience that away end and that's Positive, in a sense, but it's also a little bit dangerous. But Palace were were very much on top of it this time. There were one or two people who were clearly trying to sneak through as a pair through the turnstile um, that were quickly sort of, you know, carted away. But I mean, that was one instance, whereas last year, it did feel a little bit more, um, yeah, unsettling.
0: Cool, excellent. Right, you watched on the telly as well as myself, Chris. Um, <laughs> I, I guess the next thing to talk about is the team. The team news. So the team selection was pretty much the same as uh, the first game with Tommy starting in, in place of the injured Timber. None of us predicted that, that starting right. eleven.
2: We got the Tommy Asu well, yeah. right,
0: and and not a lot else <laughs> of the key of the kind of uh, question mark um, positions. I didn't like the team news when I heard it. I thought Gabriel was a shoo-in to come back into this game. I think away to Palace is exactly the type of game you would have imagined or envisaged him being really a key, important um, component or cog in our defence for. Um, so I, of course, went online to see if anybody else echoed my concerns. And so just a few that I I, I saved, I bookmarked. Uh, Lewis Ambrose, who I've, I seem to be quoting every week, um, he said, completely understood the team last weekend, but very unsure how well that shape can work without Timber. Going without Gabrielle away from home feels like a wild choice. Uh, James Benj, uh, who I know has appeared on Ask Blog. That's how I learned about him first, but he's a respected journalist in his own right. Set aside the interest from Saudi Arabia purely as a selection decision, a trip to Sellers Park feels like the sort of game where you want Gabriel. I'm not sure Arsenal's quartet worked that well against Forrest either. And then Leith, the journalist, the uh, journalist, big Arsenal fan, concerning Gabriel is concerning. Gabriel is on the bench and not in the starting 11. Saliba and Gabriel are the choice centre-back combination and work so well together. Is the power of Saudi money now starting to impact Arsenal? So there were certainly concerns about his omission. And to me, it, it felt less tactical, more pointed. There's something else going on in the background. Um, Chris, what was your reaction to the team news when it broke?
2: Uh, yeah, surprised. And I tried to analyse it with a kind of, again, an objective, trying to stand back and say, well, why is this? And in the sort of cold light of day, I, I'm trying to put the Saudi stuff to one side and see it as a tactical thing. And how could he justify it as a tactical thing? And the only thing that I can think about, of, and others have mentioned this as well since, is that, Gabriel's not the best technically, if you know what I mean. He's not your ball carrying centre half as certainly not as much as Saliba is, and that he's been dropped in order to gain a bit more control in the back line. Whether that works or not is another argument, but that's a justification for it. But I was stumped as you are. I just thought, well, is he going a bit galaxy brain? Is he thinking, well, it kind of worked last time, so we'll stick with it. So it was only afterwards that I I, tr- I I was able to step back once we'd won and I was kind of a bit more chilled about it.
0: Yeah, I, I like the quote that when Arteta picks the team, he doesn't know what the result is. Mm. Um, so w- we, we can look back knowing the result and then mm-hmm. dissect his, his decision-making. But at the time, and I know we had this exchange, Chris, um, on WhatsApp, mm. um, I didn't feel confident after the Forest game. Having won it, Mm. I didn't feel it worked. Mm. And so to then roll it out again, I have read a few um, observations today where, yes, he's the kind of the the weakest in terms of ball-carrying central defenders, which is why he's um, dropped out and Saliba has remained there. Um, But it's it's all about the party position. It's Arteta trying to um, add in party's experience in midfield whilst um, Rice and Havertz are embedded into the midfield system to kind of almost a a training wheels kind of scenario. Um, And he looked at, he he, he did a calculated, took a calculated gamble with these opening three fixtures, Forest home, Palace away, um, Fulham at home, and thought, well, we should have enough to win these games for me to be able to do this. And... Mm use this as valuable because the comparison was made with Pep again that when Pep signs a player they usually spend quite a degree of uh, quite a large portion of the first like three, four months on the bench whilst they're getting to grips with Pep's instructions and so on Jack Grealish will be the prime example of that in season one he didn't play as much as he did in season two and became very uh, effective in season two as a consequence so that I thought well okay that makes sense but there's no better way of kind of adapting to the system then playing in it immersing yourself in it and maybe that's why Havertz and Rice have started and Timber would have started the first three games presumably Mm. Um, and we'll get to this as well but Rice for me I thought was superb yesterday. Um, Havertz less so but we'll get to him as well.
2: I think one thing I'd say about the party right back thing and we didn't touch on this in our little WhatsApp exchange was that fine when we have possession not so good when we don't and that's that That's the thing that really, I, th- I think he's gambling on is the fact that we are going to have more control and more possession. That's what he's kind of counting on in order to make this work.
0: Yeah. And Zaha wasn't playing and that made a difference probably. Um, what about Havertz, Chris, uh, uh, as a selection up front? Because I don't think either me or you
2: selected him. I liked what he did off the ball a lot in this game. I thought he was, particularly when we went down to 10 men and I thought, Eddie, as well, worked his socks off and was unlucky not to grab one in the first half. So, again, this is all with retrospect. At, at, at the time, I was kind of hoping, wanting to know what it would be like with Havertz up there as a, as a holding nine.
0: Yeah, it was interesting That's that Havertz didn't come off either. That when mm. he made all his substitutions, Havertz Well, he went up on. front, didn't he?
2: He, he became yeah, the kind he of did. the outlet for when we had 10 men. Yeah.
0: Steph, what was your um,
1: response to the team news? Well, the, the, the grumblings in the away end were, were were sort of similar, really. And it was also sort of joked upon um, uh, by a friend of mine that Arteta could probably do with coaching the fans <laughs> because you, you speak to most fans and what they'll do is they'll just pick what is their favourite or what they think is the best team. And again, we we've spoken about how it might be the best team for that game or for that situation. And your explanation of including Partey in some way as the training wheels for Havertz and Rice in games that are, inverted quotes, winnable and ones that we should dominate possession in are, are games we can use uh, in order to, to kind of speed up the progression of the team as a whole. Um, I think that's a really good explanation of that. However... You know, average fan in the stands is going to be no pick the best centre back pairing, play your best midfielder in midfield, put your right and and you know stick to what worked last season. Well, last season was last season, this season it's about evolving. And he's probably looked at these first games, you know, Forest, Palace, Fulham. All of those three teams will look at us as title contenders because we were so close last year, because we've spent money and therefore they will approach that game in maybe a slightly different way. You know, before the old adage was Arsenal don't like it up em. Well, actually last couple of years have shown we can take it actually. You know, you you give a bit, we can give it back and and yesterday was almost the epitome of that. You know, we go a man down against a decent palace side, a difficult palace side, a palace side that aren't just a low block of defenders, but have some players in there as well. So you you have to be on guard in so many different ways. But we still had enough. We had enough when there was 11 men on the pitch. We had enough when there was 10 men on the pitch. And so I think the litmus test for team selection will be the Man United game. Fulham next week, we might actually probably just see more of the same. Obviously, Tommy Asu will be uh, serving a suspension but the Man United game, the transfer window will be shut and we will be playing a, inverted commas again, big team. Now, thankfully, Man United look to have started the season in the same manner they did last season. Um, So they will be also thinking about having nothing to lose, maybe against Arsenal or sitting in a low block themselves. But I'd be very intrigued to see if Arteta almost reverts to, to the team that was more reminiscent of last season than this, you know, kind of back three with Part A inverting, you know, setup that we've had um, at the moment. And Gabriel, I mean, everyone just really doesn't want to sell him. And yet if we do, it has to be for big money, big money, because he is in his prime and he was arguably the if not one of the best centre-backs in the league last season so you don't sell him for anything I mean 70 million was the ballpark figure people were talking about here but I'd I'd probably want even more than that for someone who is so good and has just signed a four-year contract Uh, you might talk about Fabrizio Romano on Twitter today um, reiterating the point that apparently he for Arsenal anyway he is absolutely not for sale and nor do I think he should be. Look, there's going to be plenty of games for him to, in which to feature. He was turned to later on in the game when we knew it would be a little bit backs to the wall because that's the kind of defender he is. Jorginho and Zinchenko gave us control. I know I'm probably getting into the game a bit too much too soon, but Gabriel's just so important. But yeah, it, it's, it's not going to sit right for a while with these different selections and these different formations. And also, where's Trossard? He's, mm-hmm. Every time he's there, he he, he shows. I think his hand we might have he's, seen he's him. Very good. Had we not uh, yeah, gone down yeah. to ten men? Well, yeah, I think the context of the game, yeah, shifted yeah, it. massively. Um,
0: and, and just a point about Gabrielle when he did come on, my word, there was no indication that there was a player with his mind elsewhere. He mm-hmm. was he was absolutely up for the fight. He really was. Um, you, you talked um, Steph about the evolution of the team from last season, and I, let me ask you this question. Hmm. Do you think that Arteta is looking at what went wrong last season or where we faltered last season and is deliberately setting us up as a team difficult to beat rather than the free-flowing, goal-scoring team that we saw throughout last season?
1: It's obviously too early to tell at the moment. I think there is a case of kind of muddling through these first few games. You know, this is an extended pre-season, effectively. But thankfully, you know, we've got we've got two or three kinder fixtures, although, in, you know, an away game in London isn't necessarily that kind of fixture. And so it is about getting people up to speed. I think Rice's performance speaks to the approach we're trying to... What's the word? You know, make sure is there... Especially in the later stages of the season, you know, someone like Rice, who is, for me, I I didn't realise how much he is kind of the all-round midfielder. You know, he's not just a stopper. He's picking passes. He is making runs. He is chasing back. He's he's kind of all things to all men. You know, he's he's a he's a hybrid granite Partey kind of mix I think you know he's not quite as defensive as Partey he wasn't quite as you know forthright as Xhaka was in his in um last season but he's just he's just doing the job and he was just so you know, dominant yesterday. That was that was the key, the word that I would I would go to against Palace, a, a Palace who had a man over and you know the 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 wind in their sails for a long period as well. I kept saying, you know, watching from the stands, I, I felt a bit dejected uh, at the yellow card, a at the injustice of it, but b just how long there was left because you just felt that it would tell in the end.
0: Yeah, I agree. It, I was looking at the inevitability of an equaliser. Rather than the fear of one, um, Rice added a whole kind of new physicality to the midfield. I thought he was. I thought that was a, a fantastic performance from him. With down to ten men as well, but also eleven v eleven. Um, we talk about just the, uh, something else I'd written down that I, you've just reminded me of. Uh, talking about City as a um, Palace away is an easy, as an easier game. In inverted commas, yeah. I, I just um, I also read that Man City won one nil away at Sellers Park last season with backs to the wall performance and a penalty. Um, so we're going to win the league, lads.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> you can't okay. argue with that. Well, that's that's what that's what
2: the new Saka chant says. <laughs> it was a dodgy penalty, as well as I remember.
0: I, d- I don't remember it. I don't pretend. Yeah, I remember
2: because I was gutted. But it was a, it was a dive.
0: The person who <laughs> tweeted that also said that was the game they realised City were going to win the league. So hmm. that a dodgy penalty would kind of tie in with that. Hmm. Okay, um, moving to the actual first half itself, um, and and maybe the key moments. I've I've written down four. Um, Chris, I, these are the four that I've written down. Like hmm. take these. Take these, chat about these, not um, come up with your own ones as well. Um, Twenty nine minutes is my the first thing I've written down, and that's uh, Eddie hits the post. Mm. Thirty five minutes, um, Saliba's tackle. I couldn't read my own handwriting there. Uh, Saliba's tackle, which came from his own error, but that tackle was Tony Adams esque or Steve Ball esque. It was just brilliant. Uh, Thirty six minutes, Eddie's his lob. His, the chance he should really have put away, in my opinion. And the only other thing I've written, and, and there's a reason I've written this down, which will become apparent, is forty is the first minute of, of the two minutes added on at the end of the first half, and it was Eze's dive in the box. And I, mm. I, I'm, I'm throwing it out there because it was a blatant dive. Again, it was it resulted in one of Thomas Party's imaginary yellow cards because um, he was really angry. Party was really cross with him, um, and the referee didn't buy it at all didn't flinch, didn't point to the, you know, didn't hesitate, just was never a penalty. Um, So they're the four kind of key points or key moments in the game uh, I've put down. Um, So Chris, talk talk us through like kind of, I guess Eddie features quite prominently there, but what what, what were your kind of highlights in the first half
2: as well? As as we're talking about Eddie, there there were a few moments in the first, say 20 minutes or so, where we were clearly in control possession wise. And he didn't quite get the the run of the ball; it would bounce off him, it, and he wasn't quite connecting. He was doing a lot of work, and and up to the point where he he um, hit the post, I was thinking, ah, oh, maybe we should have had Havertz up there. That was where I was wanting a kind of bigger kind of focal point, but he kind of came good because there wasn't really much else in terms of goal threat that we'd uh, shown. It was Palace really that had a. There was a couple of chances, I think, Edward sort of drilled one a few yards wide and I thought, you know, they've got something, they could hit us on the break.
0: Just to go on to the stats, the overall stats of the game, there wasn't a lot of threat, goal threat throughout the entire match, really. Mm. Uh, we had we had 11 shots, only two on target. Obviously, plus the Eddie on the post would be considered off target. Palace had 12 attempts at goal, only two on target. So there the wasn't, the, the, I get what you're saying about the, the, there was a hint or a sense of vulnerability on occasion, a danger on occasion at the back for us, but it didn't really translate into gilt-edged chances. Um, there yeah. was the free header in the second half, which will come to, Edouard's free header, centre of goal. That for me was the chance they should have put away. There was the Tyreek Mitchell slash shot in injury time at the end of the game, but he had like, Eight bodies in front of him to get past. If even, even, if even, ha- even if he had kept that low, chances are that would never have found its way into the back of the net. Yeah so the, it wasn't a lot there wasn't a lot of gold mouth action but there was a lot of control and I I know I gave you a, a statistic last week for the forest game where we had 902 passes which was the, kind of the highest of any game last season well whilst it was 11v11 11 11 yesterday we had 88% an 88% successful pass rate which was higher than in any game last season any game any full length game last season um, I don't know what it happened to um, the, those statistics after uh, we mm. had Tomei sent off. But so so we're talking about that, that word control again. And, mm. and yeah, we did have control and we didn't look under threat at the back either. I mean, Saliba's last ditch tackle, which was immense, came about because of his own miscontrol. Yeah. It wasn't a, we weren't opened up or anything. Um Steph, what about you? What was your in the grounds in the at the you know in there hyped up, caught up in the emotion? What was your take
1: on the first half? Well, it's interesting you just talked about the Saliba moment because I just find football fans and being one myself just so funny because Saliba makes that mistake and everyone's moaning, "Oh, what's he done? I can't believe it!" And within a moment, obviously, he's ran back and he's made a, such a Good clinical challenge that there's a, even a video doing the rounds of Jordan Ayu kind of applauding him as he's getting up and kind of clapping, going, "Yeah, that was a good tackle." And is and that is that
0: real? Is that real? Have you seen that?
1: I've, I've seen the clip of it. Yeah, because I didn't. Yeah, I mean. thought
0: I, I said it out loud at the time, and I haven't yeah. seen it since. I thought, did Ayu Are you actually clap him when he got yeah. up? Oh, brilliant! And so
1: football fans, they it's a ama- they they swing from one extreme to the other. In one moment, they're just you know chasing him and moaning because they. Worried they're going to give up a chance and potentially concede a goal, to the next minute going, Oh my god, did you see that? What a tackle! <laughs> he's the new Tony Adams. I can't believe it. What a guy. Um, but Saliba is probably the epitome of that control that, that you speak of. Uh my pal John, who I, was, I stood next to yesterday, he says there's there's something about Saliba that he's just never worried when he's on the pitch. It just mm. he 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 exudes calmness mm. that you know, clearly must be felt amongst his his fellow teammates. And I wonder if then, linking back, that plays into the whole shift in formation thing. Are we covering ourselves by playing Ben White centrally a little bit more so that should we lose Saliba for another period of time, Gabriel can come back in on that left-hand side, but Ben White is used to playing on the right a little bit more. You know, and it probably would have been helped a little bit more had Timber been fit because I know he's got that versatility. But I wonder if Ben White is also being prepped for, you know, spells when Saliba or Gabriel might not be uh, available. And it's all about that, that flexibility and it's all about, you know, being ready to hit the ground running. So someone who has been sat on the bench for months and hasn't really featured doesn't need a game or two to get up to speed. And there's a, there's a, there's a growth in the mindset of the squad and the tactics that, you know, will take a little bit of time to root itself in, in our brains as fans, because we don't understand, you know, uh, you know, fully the, the complexities of, of these things. Um, but yeah, there was, there was a real control uh, in the game. Yes, of course, it's disappointing not to take the lead and, and really sort of control the game from the off. And on another day, Eddie scores a couple of goals and, um, as it is people come away you know he's he's the one people are sort of moaning about saying oh he should have buried that chance and yeah he he probably should have done um but it was Havertz, you know in another game and you know it will be someone else probably next week uh, that's that's just the nature of, of fandom in a, li- in a little way um that you you know you don't score with every every chance but when that chance came um you know late on uh, we did take it and and held on to it that was the key thing I wanted to ask about the the Eze dive as you've put it because where where we are in the away end that's completely the other end I've got so many people to try and lean up and look over to try and see I had no idea for, for me the, the 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 bit I saw it, it just looked like a coming together and Eze's gone down so I've obviously you know crapped myself and thought oh we've given away a penalty <laughs> but you're you're fairly convinced it was a, a dive Chris no he didn't I
2: don't even think he got touched did he he kind of no, yeah, yeah, jinxed exactly. one yeah, way jinxed them right. the yeah. other way yeah. and the ball was kind of heading out as far as I remember and then he just yeah. went down very quickly and, and yeah. they called it and the players called it around him it was just no that's a yeah. dive the, clearly and
0: the, the reason I've picked that is obvious for what happened in, in the second half mm. and it's actually um, you know I know we're going to come on to a, a little um, ref watch Um spell <laughs> a few minutes mm-hmm. and I will I'll save that for for them but I just wanted to reference that um you talked about um Steph, you talked about um kind of almost prepping Ben White for a few potential scenario that may arise with Saliba injury perhaps but w- what that does in the now it does rob us of the Ben White Saka partnership on the right hand side, which wasn't so obvious uh, law, a miss on against Forrest, but it it was. I thought Saka had. I mean Mitchell, who he's up against, is a is a is a damn good fullback, um, and I thought Saka. I, I actually I thought Saka and Martinelli struggled in, in terms of what we used. To. It, uh, Martinelli hardly ever went on the outside.
2: Mm.
0: He cut inside nearly every single time. Um, I, I thought Eddie had a really good game. I thought he was yes. really... I, I thought he, he was the best of the front three and he was only substituted because of the context of the game. Um, and, and yeah, he absolutely should have scored the um, the lobbed chance, but you don't score every chance. I mean, I remember screaming at Henri many a time for not taking his uh, all the chances he could have taken. Um, yeah, so... Uh, any, so what, what was the what about Havertz? Because he's the other kind of potential lightning rod for the fans. What were the fans in the ground? What was their reaction to to the performance of Havertz, or, or just generally
1: in, in regard to Havertz? The the problem I have talking about Havertz is he's the new Arsenal culture war because. Basically, Arsenal fans need something to divide them, you know, whether it's Wenger out, whether it's the Ashburton Army, whether it's, you know, spending a hundred million or not or whatever, all the Cronkies or Super League or whatever. or oh, not really the Super League. We all agreed on that one. Um, <laughs> But Havertz is the new culture war, so you can get 10 Arsenal fans and say, what do you think of Havertz? Five will say, no, he's rubbish. We've spent 65 million on a dud from Chelsea. He's bloody rubbish. He doesn't score goals. He can't finish, blah, blah, blah. You speak to another five and go, well, hang on a minute. He played really well in the community shield. And actually, I like what he does. His link-up play, his hold-up play is very good. I mean, the truth is probably somewhere in the middle in that he is playing really well. His hold-up play is pretty good. He presses quite well from the front. He offers a um, physicality that we haven't necessarily had in a player like that uh, for some time. And yet he could probably add a few more goals and assists to his game. But he's in what, his third, second really competitive game for us at Arsenal, having had an, a, a really mixed time at Chelsea, you know winning European Cup, but then it turning into this weird toxic sort of place and then he's come to Arsenal, uh, a team that is very much sort of on its uppers and he's trying to to find his place within it again, be very telling the selection for the Man United game. You know, the window will be shut. We will know our squad and who's staying, who's going. And we will be going into the first game against one of the top six. And so whether he features or not, because obviously I presume Gabriel Jesus won't be back uh, by then. It certainly won't be match fit. And so that'll be interesting. Look, I I like him. I think Havertz, there's there's definitely a player in there. And he's probably going to fall victim of a bit of what happened to Mesut Ozil in that his manner doesn't necessarily transmit to the average football fan uh, what in this country, at least what they want to see, you know, he is quite languid, Uh, you know, Mm. he does look a little bit sullen um, in his uh, manner, but he's a, he's a very good technical player. He's strong as well. So strong that you know, I can see him contributing to uh, the team really well in the future.
0: I, I thought, I think Chris, you said it earlier when we went down to ten men. I think he really did come come into his own a little bit more. Um, and, and he we, and we we struggled for control for a long period after we went down to ten men. But with him, Jorginho and Zinchenko all of a sudden on the pitch, it, there was no threat. We, I relax, I relaxed a little bit. Um, one thing I will say, I did notice about Havertz is Rice had a go at him at one point for not moving the ball quickly enough. Mm. Move it, and, and it just kind of slowed down a little bit. But I mean, you, you've got to give him a bit of slack on that. He's playing in a brand new position as well. Mm. He's he's in a brand new team. And so he's it's going to take him time to bed in. And, yeah, and yeah. I, 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 yeah, I, I don't know. So I just did notice that Rice kind of, just a bit of an exasperated, you know, kind of wave of their arms as Havertz, didn't release the ball quickly enough to him, he kind of turned back and went the other way. It's just an observation that I noticed that I want to keep an eye on it in in future games. They they Uh, both
2: seem to operate on slightly different, um, you know, wavelengths, not in a bad way. You know, their skill sets are are quite different, aren't they? Their sort of tempos as personalities in, uh, in the way they play. And Rice is very aggressive front foot and Havertz is very clever and he will put his foot on it and he might, play it back in order to create space or whatever. And that's probably where that kind of frustration comes from, from players like Rice. But, but you know, it's...
0: And he'll he'll unfortunately suffer in comparison to Rice as well um, as the, you know, join the club at the same time. And I mean, right, I, I can't say I ever really analysed a Rice performance before for West Ham or for England. Mm. But what I've seen so far in the two games I've watched, especially last night... Oh I I am I'm really quite excited about how good he is. Like yeah. I didn't realize it. It's a bit like when someone like Sanchez came different player but when 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 Alexis Sanchez came to us. Yeah, I was aware of him at Barcelona and like, you know, but wow, when he came and we saw him play, it's like, oh, that's what world class looks like. Yeah. And I'm I'm getting the same sense. Like you, know, you go back to the Paddy Vieira debut and you're thinking Oh, that's a player. He's in his 15-minute cameo against Sheffield Wednesday, whoever it was. I can't remember. Like, oh, okay, he's good. I'm, I'm liking this, and that's very much how I'm feeling about Declan Rice, Um, Republic of Ireland's Declan Rice. No. Ooh, controversial. We'll leave it there for for now. That was quite a long first half for us. We'll be back after the break with a second half analysis and some fun facts as well, I'm sure. Oh, welcome back, everyone. Um, let's, let's crack on with the uh, second half uh, analysis. So I, I've written down key moments from the second half. <laughs> Chris, you're shaking your head already. <laughs> Is this going to be longer than the first half? I hope not. Um, but the, moments, the, the key moments I have written down are 51 minutes uh, penalty. Quick thinking from Martinelli on the free kick. Brilliant. Very quick reaction from Eddie as well. Um, 59 minutes, Tomiyasu's first yellow card. The time-wasting one. Mm. I've got a lot to say about this one. Mm. Um, and I did engage with Arsenal Twitter last night, as me, which I never do, um, because I was be- being wound up by some Arsenal fans who should know be-
2: better. Oh, dear. They know where you live.
0: <laughs> 67 minutes, the Tommy, the second Tomiyasu yellow card, um, which was utterly ridiculous. There, I've said it. Um, <laughs> 70 minutes... Uh, I've written down Havertz tugs right okay well I see what I've done here 70 minutes I've, I've written down Havertz really tugs are you shirt sure? like proper tugs in back <laughs> nothing nothing yeah so the reason I've mentioned this one is because of the second yellow card for Tommy Asu. Um 72 minutes as a penalty appeal now There is This links with the dive in the first half. Had he not dived in the first half, maybe the referee might have been more inclined to award the penalty. Had the referee awarded the penalty, I don't believe VAR would have overturned it. There was contact. It was not enough. I know there's supposed to be a a higher bar this season for what constitutes a penalty in terms of contact. Like, was the contact enough to what results in that particular fall? But then you look at the Liverpool penalty um, that they won. That You know, I still think it was a penalty, but it didn't warrant the fall that the Liverpool player um, kind of enacted. Um, and so I thought, I think VAR would have stuck with the referee's decision either way because there was definitely contact. Is it party again? Kind of dangled the leg? And there was contact. But Bedeze kind of just bought it completely and fell down with, as soon as he felt the contact. Um, 86 minutes was the Edwards free header centre of goal. And that's the one moment. It happened so quickly. It was a beautiful cross from the left back. Is it Mitchell again? Who I think is a fantastic player. And um, it was a free header. It was the only time the Arsenal defence went to sleep a little bit. We were completely on it that entire game apart from that moment but he fluffed his lines and then there was the um, Mitchell chance in the 95th minute where he kind of slashes at it I mentioned it a bit earlier Um, he had a lot of bodies to get through and he just lifted it he smashed it over the bar Um, and there wasn't much else so Chris I went to you first in the the first half analysis oh right okay Uh, good luck with talking through the second half start where you want and we'll go from there
2: well (laughs) Yeah, we started with the, you know the control as you'd expect uh, that we'd shown in the first half and got a deserved lead. As you said, very quick thinking for the penalty. Loved the fact that Odegaard took it as well. Uh, Arteta afterwards said that he didn't. That it wasn't a coach's decision to say to Saka, you, you're not on pens anymore. It was just the players decided. And I just love that captain just saying, I'll have this one, puts on the spot. He's obviously been having lessons with Jorginho. He did his little funny run up. <laughs> Some It wasn't quite as hoppity skippity as um, Jorginho's. <laughs> but he did. He dispatched it well. And we're thinking that's it now. We, we're, uh, we'll go on and get another one. And then, of course, the moment. Well, let's let's touch on the time-wasting thing first really which is I suppose going to bring us on to the the, the referee directive of time wasting because it, it felt to me like a kind of past the parcel of yellow cards where if you had for example three people first one says I don't want this throw you have it gives it to the next fella he says well I don't want it you have it and the last one gets it and holds it for five seconds accumulatively they've wasted 35 seconds of time is that last one Die, who had it for five seconds does that warrant a yellow card for him Th- that's what this directive has it's created this kind of ambiguity of who's to blame can I
0: just jump in there and say mm. actually take it back more than that um, just on the throw in we took 23 seconds for that throw in in total mm-hmm. but, but have it occupied most of that time yes but a minute earlier well first of all I've got a real issue with Arsenal play uh, time wasting after going 1-0 up with 30-35 minutes to go go and win the bloody game and mm. we were time-wasting. Mm. And I don't know, Steph, this would be interesting to get your view on, but on TV, it was quite clear. Two goal kicks, consecutive goal kicks, we fannied about on. We deliberately wasted time, and one of them, Ramsdale, threw the ball across the other side of the box, and the referee very pointedly went up to them and did the old arm swipe, saying, no more, no more. Mm. So we had the warning and we were time wasting and if it, you revert i always ask myself well if this was against me what would i be doing i'd be in if i was in the ground i'd be fuming at the mm-hmm. at the referee book him book him don't just talk tell him no more time last chance last one book him they won't do it again that's what i'd be screaming at the ref mm-hmm. a minute later we do this on the throw in and it was clearly time wasting it was so I feel it was a completely warranted yellow card because I'd want it I'd want it if roles were reversed. It wasn't for Tommy Asu, it was for Arsenal. It just mm. so that ties in with what but- you were saying, Chris. It was an Arsenal yellow card and Tomiyasu was the fall guy at that particular moment. Is that fair? I don't know. I mean the irony is he'd already taken the throw as the referee blew the whistle to book him. So had the referee waited one more second,
2: mm. it
0: would have carried on. But Go on, Chris. Sorry, I've I, think j- I it's jumped big, no, in. No, no, I
2: think it's valid. I think it is valid. And you're right in that we we sit there as Arsenal fans with our Guna goggles on and we're just, oh, well, we know we're just taking this thing out of the game. We're not time-wasting. This is legitimate. You know, other teams do it. We're allowed to do it. It's all gamesmanship. We're all part of the game, yada, yada. Uh, but you're right. We would be furious if, if the boot was on the other foot. Uh, and it was just unfortunate that it was Tommy and that he obviously ended up uh, on the end of, I use cute little kind of reaction to his dive. well, it was more a hand on the hip the way I saw it on the replays. um the there was referee no, there's no force but the the referee made the, the the pulling the tugging gesture as if to say that's what you're getting the card for, but it was it was a hand literally touching his hip, which can put you off your stride, but he all he needed was a touch to then react and and boy, did he react. Um, and he knew it. Obviously, he knew Tommy was on a yellow card. So
0: rather, than, Chris, I'll come back to you like for the rest mm. of the second half. Yeah, yeah. But Steph, at that point in the ground, that moment in the ground, that the the yellow card for Tommy for time wasting, and then the subsequent yellow card for the tackle on Ayu. Bearing in mind, Ayu had already on a yellow card had already tackled Saka. And it was another yellow card, much more of a yellow card offence than, than the Tomiyasu one on IU himself. And The ref had let that one go. What was the, I mean, I'm, I'm, I can, I'm pretty confident I know what the answer is going to be. What was the mood in the Arsenal end um, f- around
1: those incidents? Are, are we going full ref watch? Uh, go for because, it. But it's, <laughs> uh, of course, there was lots of ire, there was lots of moaning, there was lots of anger uh, about it. And it's because of the inconsistency. So there's, there's two points to pick up here. And one is that it did... David Cook actually got a lot of decisions right in that game. He did get a lot of decisions right. Yet some of the decisions that weren't necessarily as right seemed to contradict some of the ones he did get right. So, you know, you might argue that Tomiyasu should have got a second yellow card for that touch on IU. But if so... Well, then IU needs one for the tackle that he made on Saturday. And the problem then is you you write yourself into a corner where if everything is treated equally, you're going to end up with no one on the pitch. Four people on the pitch, yeah. Well, exactly. And then it comes to this bigger factor. And I think we all need to take a step back. And especially when it comes to the time-wasting thing. So I work in a school, as you do as well, Holly. And when it comes to judging schools, you know, when Ofsted come... Ofsted have their own criteria. Yes, you know, teaching standards and this, that and the other. But quite often what, the, what they'll do is they'll look at the school's own policies. What are you doing? What are you setting as your standards? And are you sticking to them? Well, the problem is it feels like the, 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 whoever makes the laws of the game, it's the FA, it's the PGMOL, you know, some of it comes down from UEFA uh, and FIFA uh, as well. And what they're doing is they're writing in so many laws and so much fine-tuning that they're, they're creating this, this web of complexity that referees are just never going to be able to live up to. Whereas, because it's a sport... And it's a contact sport and it's a free-flowing sport. You know, it's not a sport of plays like you get in American football. And it's not a a sort of turn-taking approach like it is in darts or snooker or anything like that. It's a game. It's ongoing. And so there has to be so much more flexibility to allow the referee to manage the game. I think all of us would agree that a referee manages the game differently in the first minute as they do In the last minute. You know, we all moan the fact that, you know, a referee is never going to book a keeper for time wasting in the first minute. Well, no, because A, keepers probably not going to time waste that much in the first minute. And B, you know, that would then set up the game, you know, with a certain level of uh, needing to be refereed that is just unsustainable. And therefore, why don't we just strip away some of that responsibility, some of these directives, and just allow the referee to manage the game in the way that they see fit? So if a team like Arsenal, and, and I'm going on what you said, Holly, I, it didn't feel like we were time-wasting to any noticeable extent from the away end. No more than you ever see at the Emirates and no more than we ever do anywhere else. You know, we know Ramsdale can do it a little bit, but it, it, it never felt excessive, OK, however, if David Coote watches Ramsdale, you know, move the ball to the other side and fanny around on a, on a on a goal kick, and he thinks that somehow the spirit of the game and the contest is being lost by them dragging it out, do you know what? Give him a yellow card. If he thinks just a tap of the watch or a wave of the arms is enough to kind of G things along, then that's fine as well. Don't write a rule that says the moment you notice... Anything that might even resemble time-wasting, you have to give a yellow card because we're going to end up... I mean, we're already having lots of red cards, loads and loads of yellow cards. This cannot be sustainable over a whole season because there's going to be so many players bloody suspended that you're going to end up with, you know, youth team benches and you're going to have managers moaning. And essentially, you're going to have one referee do it and another referee not do it. And it's just an absolute mess. The whole thing is an absolute mess. and it just needs rolling back a bit and just give the power to the referee a little bit to manage the game. Initiative, is it being it? played in the right way? I thought yesterday's game was played in the right spirit. It wasn't niggly, it wasn't foully. no one was chipping off. It was just a good contest. Yes, it was physical, okay? And yes, you know players will push it here and there on these certain things, but it never felt like anything was getting at all out of hand and therefore actually that the 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 yellow cards to tommy asu no matter how deserved you you might think they are or aren't kind of spoiled it as a contest and i'm that's why i was so bloody happy that we came away with three points because i would have felt a real sense of injustice because it felt like they were such soft yellow cards and so ridiculous especially that second one
0: okay do you think Can i just ask both yes of course
2: quickly do you do you think that those decisions get as easily made at home.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That 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 was a home decision all day long. The, the the yellow card, and because he was respond his his gesture to Ramsdale, no more. That's it. No more time wasting. Your last one. That was for the benefit of the home fans who were wolf whistling and getting on his back. And so, but but we, we are culpable here also. A minute later. And Havertz is responsible for this. Tommy Hassu, bless him, he was at, what eight seconds on the throw-in, which is like quite quick, <laughs> you know. Okay. Um, he he got done for it, but it was the referee had, like you just alluded to, stuff. He backed himself into a corner because mm-hmm. the next um, time wasting incident he had to book. But we are the idiots for giving him the opportunity within a minute. You know, that's mm. so but Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's that, so that's my that's my response to that. I, I'm but but a bigger the bigger point, and Chris, I, I'll go back to your second half analysis. We go one nil up. We are in total control. We're not creating a lorry load of chances, but we're not um seeding any chances at the back either. Why are we time wasting? Why are we And you might say slowing it down, taking this. There there is no sting to take out of the game. We've just gone 1-0 up. We should go for it now. Surely. I don't know. Chris? uh,
2: It's either, and we've talked about this before, it's either a preservation instinct that kicks in amongst the team that Arteta has had no control over and has tried to kind of coach out of them. Uh, And that could be down to youth. And it could be just the sort of personality of the team that they want to preserve what they've got. The other thing is that it is a coach thing that you do apply some dark arts when you're away from home and you've just scored a goal and you want to just disrupt the momentum of the opposition, which has been done to us countless times. So I don't have an answer as to why we have done it. We'll be even more aggrieved when we do it and then concede, and the fact that we held on, we're kind of heralding this as a kind of, we fought against the odds, 10 men and whatever. What what would our feelings have been had we played out the rest of the half timidly with 11 men and then conceded a late equaliser? We'd be furious because we hadn't killed the game off.
0: Yeah, How did you feel against West Ham last season? Well,
2: you know, exactly. It, it's that was the happened. same kind of thing, the 2-0 thing.
0: Yeah. How did you feel then at the final whistle? <laughs> Me? Yeah.
2: <laughs> um. Well, obviously, huge relief. I mean, prior to that, I, I, I really enjoyed the spell of uh, possession that we had towards the end when we'd rejigged and we put Havertz as the kind of main outlet and we brought on Zinny and uh, Jorginho as kind of ball carriers, basically, to just put their foot on it. And they did brilliantly well, I thought. We kind of kept it in the for ages. Prior to that, we were a little bit under the cosh and Ketty had got us out of trouble a couple of times by buying good fouls legitimate fouls but he'd held on to it and got bundled over and but yeah bringing on those subs was a a a turning point really one
0: more positive for the referee he blew up on exactly 97 minutes (laughs) he didn't add anything on to the added time and I was very grateful to him
1: for that (laughs) I bet he wanted to get out of South London as quick as possible
0: (laughs) (laughs) like you all Um,
1: yeah
0: (laughs) um, Steph your second half like kind of you know, after the sending off and so on. Like, what was the atmosphere like? And final whistle then. I, I, I must admit, I didn't see any of the celebrations after the final whistle. Mm. So give us a sense for what it was like actually in the ground and the kind of the the interaction with the players and so
1: on. Uh, well, a mix of, of relief, um, but also defiance as well. Um, and the players showed it uh, with their resilience. Uh, and, you know, we, we were happy to sort of take on the, uh, you know, the... The, oh woe is me kind of uh, mantle but that all stemmed from a from a lot of relief because there are a number of us who just felt it would be too long to hang on and a few people around me also noted that we did drop incredibly deep and we did try and absorb that pressure and those substitutions you're absolutely right chris jorginho and zinchenko i mean calmness on the ball good in possession exactly what we needed just to take the ball away from palace you know, they can't hurt us if they don't have the ball. Um, so that that was a really smart switch by Arteta and the players executed that, I thought, um, incredibly well. Shouldn't he have done that earlier? Hey, I mean, he probably could and should have done it earlier. But, you know, th- we get into all sorts of ifs, buts and maybes. I've been listening to a few football podcasts and they've been talking about the Women's World Cup final and about, you know, did um, Serena Wiegmann go too early on her changes? Where, well, the problem is it's da- she's damned if she does, she's damned if she doesn't. It didn't work in the first half, so she changed it. And had it had it come off, she would have been hailed as, you know, mm. a genius. But it didn't come off on that occasion. So, you know, look... Arteta's come away with the three points, having played with a man down for, you know, the best part of what was it, 20 minutes, 25 minutes, half, half an hour. Half an hour yeah. probably in so the really, end. Really, yeah. really good. Um, and yeah, just just huge relief at the end. And 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 really quite vibrant. You know, there's there's the Saka chant doing the rounds, um, and everyone is just very buoyant. You know, it's two wins in two at the start of the season. When, like you said, right at the start of the show, feels like we're in a total race from the start. Last year it built, it really built, whereas we, we're we hoping we're going to be there or thereabouts. Therefore, these games do take on a little bit more importance. So to come away from Palace on a Monday night, you know, knowing that, you know, City won pretty much at a canter against another team who finished top four last season. Um, and it just feels incredibly positive.
0: I've got an important question for you, Steph. Or what? request even, not question, request. Okay, What's the Saka song? How does it go?
1: Well, it's to the tune of Abba's voulez vous which I <laughs> cannot stand because <laughs> I, I really do not like Abba at all. But it's, the one, um, it's also the one that they use for England um, uh, for Saka as well. So it's Burkayo, Saka, running down uh-huh. the Ring, Saka. Hear the Arsenal sing, Saka, and we're going to win the league. And I know Chris is going to put that on the end of the podcast. Yeah, plot that's that's, now. that's. I love that's that. That. Guaranteed that, is ex- this time. that
0: is exactly why I've asked you. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you very much. But there, that's you. the
1: There was also one. I mean, uh, we couldn't hear the words of it properly, but it was to uh, to the tune of "Make Me Sway." Um, I don't know who the artist is, but someone next to me, uh, my mate John, who's a real muso as well, um, he said it. Oh, it's that song, Make Me Sway. I was like, okay. Um, And uh, Declan Rice features, Mikel Arteta features, the Ashburton Army lot, all in their black, were were singing it. So that's something I want to try and um, get my ears around, uh, hopefully next week at the Emirates.
0: Okay. um, Look forward to that one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so look your observations then after the final whistle, Let, let's let's go like three positives, three negatives. You don't have to come up with three of each, but no more than three of each. Uh, Steph, what, what kind of three positives and three negatives have, negatives have you got?
1: Well, the positive has, uh, number one, has to be the resilience um, and the, the competitiveness uh, of the team, which was really, uh, really good to see. Um, we, we haven't talked about him a lot, apart from him scoring the penalty. Martin Odegaard, just, mm-hmm. he's he's so busy around the pitch. And usually, you know, you, it, it's hard to get my head around the fact that A, he's arguably one of our most skillful players, but B, he's also one of our most tenacious players. He's intercepting um, balls, he's tackling, um, he's harrying players uh, with the best of them. He He's so good. And I, I know the very first season, when he came on loan for Real Madrid, I didn't really see it. And I know you, Holly. You you said that for you, he's the player that could slot into the Invincibles team. And I just couldn't see it for ages. And now he is just—he is awesome. He is so. so Can I just good. add
2: to that as well uh, that that he's a brilliant captain and the way he, he kind of encapsulates yes. what we're doing as a club as a culture. I think that's hugely important yeah. because yes, he's a brilliant player, but he he carries us as a club. You know that, and that's. Just great to see. You'll
0: yeah. have to start listening to me more, Steph.
1: Well, you know, um, <laughs> we'll uh, maybe agreeing okay. with you more. I listen to you <laughs> quite a lot, but uh, agreeing <laughs> with you is is maybe slightly different.
0: Uh, excellent. Right, your um, Your negatives.
1: Have you done the three positives?
0: Have you done the three positives?
1: uh, Well, my third positive was uh, possibly going to be the choice. Someone had a theory about why Saka didn't take the penalty. um, Because Sam Johnson has been um, a keeper within the England squad uh, when the likes of Heaton and the uh, Newcastle keeper... What's his name? Pope. Pope, Uh, When he got injured, Johnston was the third choice keeper. And someone said, I wonder if Saka has has offered it, because if Johnson knows him and knows which way he might go and things like that, maybe it's just the variety of it. So that was um, just an interesting theory that I heard um, on the terraces. Negative-wise, it's hard to look beyond the officials. I, I, I don't know about... Th- I can't really come up with three. It was such a positive experience. You know, Palace were a good side. It was a competitive game without being, you know, nasty or niggly. Um, they're a really good uh, club to, um, you know, engage competitively with. Um, but, but just the officials. And, and again, it's not particularly on David Coote. He made some good decisions in the game. But I think the system that they've created around... You know, refereeing and the rules and uh, the, the, the VAR situation um, is just—it's it, it, too complex. You know, they're—they're—they're they're, they're, they're creating standards that are just not attainable, and it's—it's—it's going to ruin too many matches. Um, you know, it already has. Look, Man United should not have got anything from Wolves in that first mm-hmm. round of fixtures at all, and yet. A referee and a man watching it on multiple TVs, you know, you know, albeit hundreds of miles away, they couldn't see that. And everyone just took one look and went, "Well, that's a penalty." And, and and so those little situations are just going to frustrate the hell out of me. And it, it it does leave a little bit of a sourness to it. I mean, if I'm going to add one more negative thing, I will think of one more negative thing. It is the roadworks. <laughs> that I, I mean, it's a Monday night. Most of the M11 was shut. Most of the M11 was shut. And we had to go around just all of Essex and, oh, Cambridgeshire. And uh, it was just relentless and ridiculous. And get your act together, Britain, and sort the bloody roads out. <laughs> Sorry, I went a bit um, uh, right wing there. <laughs> no, that's go good. Go on in,
2: Chris. Because one of my negatives was it's too hot over here. which is yeah first world problems but um okay i'm gonna kick off with um it's a sort of we came we saw we conquered kind of thing but first my my first positive is we adapted in that we went down to 10 men and we showed that we have the squad to cope with that adversity that we may not have uh, a few years ago and we overcame the onslaught we didn't concede showed resilience, and then lastly, we won. That's that's my one, two, three. Brilliant. <laughs> yeah. uh, what about your negatives? Uh, I'm, I'm not going to go on about the refs again, but that, that is obviously one of them. I think, being serious, I'm c- slightly concerned about our need to kill a game earlier and to make this control, this possession, count a bit more and just to see a little bit more on-target stats at least. But I think we need to start scoring more. We're only a few games in, I know. I think because we're bedding in players, particularly like Havertz and Rice, that it's going to take a bit longer than last year where we had two new players, but they were plug and play. They just came in, they were ready. They just bang. And it's not going to be quite the same this year. So we just need to be patient.
0: Okay. Um, Really briefly, my three positives, resilience, togetherness and away support. My three negatives would be that slight conservatism or inhibition when we go, when we have a lead or have that control of the game, not, not scoring more goals at that point, yep. Chris, I agree. Um, <clears throat> needs to be more clinical, but we're not creating a huge amount of chances. So that's a bit, you know, maybe kind of accentuates the misses a bit more. And my third one was the VAR. Could, there's this rule that VAR cannot look hmm. at a
2: second
1: yellow. Oh, I didn't even in, I didn't even talk about that in my rant. Like, what's the point of it then? Exactly. It, 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 exactly what we everything said
2: works. yesterday is it so arbitrary who makes up these rules that says we well, can do it for this but you can't for that well, what's the point of having this technology if it can't be applied for absolutely everything exactly
0: yeah okay we're nearly done it, we can't go without having a little look back to our predictions from last week for the game mm. I'm going to do a league table for us <laughs> so it's three three points for a correct score one point for a correct result so yeah, Steph, yeah, I'm you're, you're in the leads. Right. You're in the leads. You've got four points because you got a correct score in the first game when you got the correct result last night. Uh, I'm in second place with two points because I've got the correct score in both games, but no, the correct result in both games, but not the score line. Chris, you need to have yeah. more faith. Yeah, I know. You're, you're on. You're on one point because okay. you had us <laughs> down for a draw. You're your relegation fodder at the moment. I'm a slow on Mediocrity. <laughs> I'm mid-table mediocrity and Steph you're Arsenal I'll
1: take that <laughs> yeah I'll take that or <laughs> and, Brighton and, as it stands
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, and and neither of us oh, none of us got the team selections again so we've had six goes at guessing Arteta starting 11 and we failed six times now obviously we won't look at Fulham we'll be back in a couple of days with a Fulham preview um, but yeah and I, I suspect we'll get that wrong as well um uh, go on Steph, you want never to say
1: <laughs> No, never mind. Um it could be a good thing or a bad thing, because we've won two games and none of us have predicted the starting lineup, so you know Arteta must know yeah, what he's doing. <laughs> if
0: we and we, we know Arsenal and if we can't predict a starting eleven, then nor, nor can the opposition manager. So mm. I guess you know that's good in its sense and you know the players are becoming increasingly familiar with what Arteta's asking of them. So, you know, maybe that's all good. Um we we, we were going to look at how our big six, seven rivals did over the weekend. But I'm, I'm aware that, you know, uh, Chris, it must be nearly morning time for you.
2: It is. It's half
0: 12. <laughs> um, so go on, Chris, yeah. Uh, I, I, yeah,
2: I, I was just looking forward to having a laugh at Chelsea. That was all
0: uh, <laughs> Yes. in
2: that analysis, which we can just go ha ha
1: ha and move on.
0: No, but that's brilliant.
1: Brighton tweeting out no refunds
0: is, I, mean, I did they, not know that they, they was that, win was the, that the weekend. Official, I don't was know that the if
1: official... it was official. It, it, it was a meme doing the rounds on, uh, you know, lots of different WhatsApp groups. Um, so whether that was something someone had just mocked up, uh, I don't know, but it definitely made me giggle.
0: <laughs> that is brilliant. I love that. And I hope Chelsea took the bait as well. <laughs> um, Spurs beat United, but both teams look porous at the back, look uh, quite open. So that might be, Useful for us. Sit, go on, City beating Newcastle was crushingly familiar, and Phil Foden in particular. Maybe they won't miss De Bruyne as much as I fear felt they would. But.
1: I described Saturday night um, like a a, a, a a boxing night. You know, where the the early round or the early match was was basically two lugging heavyweights basically swinging at each other a bit like drunks in a car park and that was man united tottenham which was actually more entertaining than the main event with your two like leaner and more slick competitors because city are now just they're so good they're boring Mm -hmm. they are i mean foden is the one standout he he is just an excellent excellent footballer um you know and, and and do you know what he reminds me of jack wilshire but he doesn't have glass ankles, um, which is such mm. a shame. Um, but yeah, he, he, is, he is incredibly, uh, incredibly good. But City are just so boring. And and I mean that, that's, that's a great compliment to them. I'm sure they take that. They're so efficient and they don't mm. concede. Helped by Newcastle doing their usual negative thing of trying to sort of soak up uh, pressure. But yeah, Sp- Spurs Man United was lots of fun. And the fact that I enjoyed it as an Arsenal fan, they shouldn't take that as any kind of compliment whatsoever. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, good, good. Um, yeah. Who, else was, who else was playing? Yeah, Chelsea, who else am I missing? Liverpool. Liverpool beat Bournemouth three three one, and mm. McAllister's had his red card rescinded. So, um, but yeah, Liverpool haven't exactly started brilliantly. But like us, they're picking. I mean, they've had an away game at Chelsea, and a home game to Bournemouth. So four points is probably par for them for that mm. opening two round of two games. Um, well, anyway, we're, we're we're sitting pretty two from two. You can't, you you can't ask for more than that. Well, you can in terms of performance and goals perhaps but not in terms of points which is where it counts so I'm going to certainly take that excellent gentlemen thank you very much and look forward to our Fulham uh, preview in a couple of days so everyone look out for that I'm sure it'll be lots of fun cheerio guys good night Cheers, take
1: care the
2: North Bank, an Arsenal podcast. Subscribe, rate and review on your app, and find us on Twitter, Instagram and TikTok at NorthBank Pod. Email hello at the NorthBankAFC.com and check out our website, thenorthbankafc.com. Produced by the podcast company.
1: The Saka, running down the wing, Saka, hear the Arsenal sing, Saka, and we're gonna win the league. The Saka, running down the wing, Saka, hear the Arsenal sing, Saka, and we're gonna win the league.